Lecture Second, The Object of Faith Having shown in our previous lecture faith itself what it is, we shall proceed to show secondly the object on which it rests. We here observe that God is the only supreme governor and independent being in whom all fullness and perfection dwells, who is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, without beginning of days or end of life, and that in him every good gift and every good principle dwells, and that he is the Father of lights. In him the principle of faith dwells independently, and he is the object in whom the faith of all other rational and accountable beings centers for life and salvation. In order to present this part of the subject in a clear and conspicuous point of light, it is necessary to go back and show the evidences which mankind have had, and the foundation on which these evidences are or were based since the creation to believe in the existence of a God. We do not mean those evidences which are manifested by the works of creation, which we daily behold with our natural eyes. We are sensible that after a revelation of Jesus Christ, the works of creation, throughout their vast forms and varieties, clearly exhibit his eternal power and Godhead. Romans 1.20 For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. But we mean those evidences by which the first thoughts were suggested to the minds of men, that there was a God who created all things. We shall now proceed to examine the situation of man at his first creation. Moses, the historian, has given us the following account of him in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning with the twentieth verse and closing with the thirtieth. We copy from the new translation. And the Lord God said unto the only begotten, who was with him from the beginning, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and it was done. And the Lord God said, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of the only begotten created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And the Lord God said unto man, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Again, Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17 and 19 through 20. And the Lord God took the man, and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Nevertheless you may choose for yourself, for it is given unto you. But remember that I forbid it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every fowl of the air, and commanded that they should be brought unto Adam, to see what he would call them. 
And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowls of the air, and to every beast of the field. From the foregoing, we learn man's situation at his first creation, the knowledge with which he was endowed, and the high and exalted station in which he was placed, lord or governor, of all things on earth, and at the same time enjoying communion and intercourse with his maker without a veil to separate between. We shall next proceed to examine the account given of his fall, and of his being driven out of the Garden of Eden and from the presence of the Lord. Moses proceeds, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam, and said unto him, Where are you going? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I beheld that I was naked, and I hid myself. And the Lord God said unto Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I told you that you should not eat? If so, you should surely die? And the man said, The woman whom you gave me, and commanded that she should remain with me, gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this which you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And again the Lord said unto the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children. And your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And the Lord God said unto Adam, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the fruit of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed shall be the ground for your sake. In sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to you and you shall eat of the herb of the field. By the sweat of your face shall you eat bread, until you shall return unto the ground, for you shall surely die. For out of it you were taken, and dust you were, and unto dust you shall return. This was immediately followed by the fulfillment of what we previously said. Man was driven or sent out of Eden. Two important items are shown from the former quotations. First, after man was created, he was not left without intelligence or understanding to wander in darkness and spend an existence in ignorance and doubt on the great and important point which affected his happiness as to the real fact by whom he was created or unto whom he was amenable for his conduct. God conversed with him face to face. In his presence he was permitted to stand, and from his own mouth he was permitted to receive instruction. He heard his voice, walked before him, and gazed upon his glory, while intelligence burst upon his understanding and enabled him to give names to the vast assemblage of his master's works. Secondly, we have seen that though man did transgress, his transgression did not deprive him of the previous knowledge with which he was endowed, relative to the existence and glory of his Creator, for no sooner did he hear his voice 
than he sought to hide himself from his presence. Having shown then in the first instance that God began to converse with man immediately after he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that he did not cease to manifest himself unto him even after his fall, we shall next proceed to show that though he was cast out from the Garden of Eden, his knowledge of the existence of God was not lost, neither did God cease to manifest his will unto him. We next proceed to present the account of the direct revelation which man received after he was cast out of Eden, and further copy from the new translation. After Adam had been driven out of the garden, he began to till the earth, and to have dominion over all of the beasts of the field, and to eat his bread by the sweat of his brow, as I the Lord had commanded him. And he called upon the name of the Lord, and so did Eve his wife also. And they heard the voice of the Lord from the way toward the garden of Eden, speaking unto them. And they saw him not, for they were shut out from his presence. But he gave unto them commandments, that they should worship the Lord their God, and should offer the firstlings of their flock for an offering unto the Lord. And Adam was obedient unto the commandment. And after many days an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, saying, Why do you offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam said unto him, I know not, but the Lord commanded me to offer sacrifices. And the angel said unto him, This thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, who is full of grace and truth. And you should do all that you do in the name of the Son. And you shall repent and call upon God in his name forever. In that day the Holy Spirit fell upon Adam and bore record of the Father and the Son. This last quotation, or summary, shows this important fact, that though our first parents were driven out of the Garden of Eden and were separated from the presence of God by a veil, they still retained a knowledge of his existence, and that sufficiently to move them to call upon him. And further, that no sooner was the plan of redemption revealed to man, and he began to call upon God, than the Holy Spirit was given, bearing record of the Father and Son. Moses also gives us an account in the fourth of Genesis, of the transgression of Cain, and the righteousness of Abel, and of the revelations of God to them. He says, In process of time Cain brought forth of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. Now Satan knew this, and it pleased him. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door and Satan desires to have you. And except you shall hearken unto my commandments, I will deliver you up, and it shall be unto you according to his desire. And Cain went into the field and talked with his brother Abel. And while they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and slew him. And Cain gloried in what he had done, saying, I am free. Surely the flocks of my brother will now fall into my hands. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he says, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. 
And now you shall be cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, she shall not henceforth yield unto you her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond also you shall be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, Satan tempted me because of my brother's flocks. And I was also angry, for his offering was accepted and mine was not. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of men, and from your face shall I be hid also, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass every one that finds me will slay me because of my oath. For these things are not hid from the Lord, and the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. The object of the foregoing quotations is to show to this class the way by which mankind were first made acquainted with the existence of a God, that it was by a manifestation of God to man, and that God continued, after man's transgression, to manifest himself to him and his posterity, and notwithstanding they were separated from his immediate presence, that they could not see his face, they continued to hear his voice. Adam, thus being made acquainted with God, communicated the knowledge which he had unto his posterity, and it was through this means that the thought was first suggested to their minds that there was a God, which laid the foundation for their exercise of their faith, through which they could obtain a knowledge of his character and also of his glory. Not only was there a manifestation made unto Adam of the existence of a God, but Moses informs us, as before quoted, that God condescended to talk with Cain after his great transgression in slaying his brother, and that Cain knew that it was the Lord that was talking with him, so that when he was driven out from the presence of his brethren, he carried with him the knowledge of the existence of a God. And through this means, doubtless his posterity became acquainted with the fact that such a being existed. From this we can see that the whole human family in the early age of their existence in all their different branches had this knowledge disseminated amongst them, so that the existence of God became an object of faith in the early age of the world. And the evidences which these men had of the existence of God was the testimony of their fathers in the first instance. The reason why we have been thus particular on this part of our subject is that this class may see by what means it was that God became an object of faith among men after the fall, and what it was that stirred up the faith of multitudes to feel after him, to search after a knowledge of his character, perfections, and attributes, until they became extensively acquainted with him, and not only commune with him, but behold his glory, but be partakers of his power and stand in his presence. Let this class mark particularly that the testimony which these men had of the existence of a God was the testimony of man. For previous to the time that any of Adam's posterity had obtained a manifestation of God to themselves, Adam, their common father, had testified unto them of the existence of God and of his eternal power and Godhead. For instance, Abel, before he received the assurance from heaven that his offerings were acceptable unto God, had received the important information of his father, that such a being did exist, who had created, and who did uphold all things. 
Neither can there be a doubt existing on the minds of any person that Adam was the first who did communicate the knowledge of the existence of God to his posterity, and that the whole faith of the world from that time down to the present is in a certain degree dependent on the knowledge first communicated to them by their common progenitor, and it has been handed down to the day and generation in which we live, as we shall show from the face of the sacred records. First, Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born, and the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, making him 930 years old when he died. Seth was 105 when Enos was born. Enos was 90 when Canaan was born. Canaan was 70 when Machalil was born. Machalil was 65 when Jared was born. Jared was 162 when Enoch was born. Enoch was 65 when Methuselah was born. Methuselah was 187 when Lamech was born. Lamech was 182 when Noah was born. From this account, it appears that Lamech the ninth from Adam, and the father of Noah, was fifty-six years old when Adam died, Methuselah 243, Enoch 308, Jared 470, Machalil 535, Canaan 605, Enos 695, and Seth 800. So that Lamech, the father of Noah, Methuselah, Enoch, Jared, Machalil, Canaan, Enos, Seth, and Adam were all living at the same time, and beyond all controversy were all preachers of righteousness. Moses further informs us that Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years, making him 912 years old at his death. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years, making him 905 years old when he died. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalil 840 years, making him 910 years old at his death. And Mahalil lived after he begat Jared 830 years, making him 895 years old when he died. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years, making him 962 years old at his death. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years making him 365 years old when he was translated. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 782 years, making him 969 years old when he died. Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years, making him 777 years old when he died. Agreeably to this account, Adam died in the 930th year of the world. Enoch was translated in the 987th. Seth died in the 1042nd year, Enos in the 1140th, Canaan the 1235th, Mahalil in the 1290th, Jared in the 1422nd, Lamech in the 1651st, and Methuselah in the 1656th, it being the same year in which the flood came. So that Noah was 85 years old when Enos died, 176 when Canaan died, 234 when Machalil died, 366 when Jared died, 595 when Lamech died, and 600 when Methuselah died. We can see from this that Enos, Canaan, Machalil, Jared, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah all lived on the earth at the same time, and that Enos, Canaan, Machalil, Jared, Methuselah, Lamech were all acquainted with both Adam and Noah.
From the foregoing, it is easily to be seen not only how the knowledge of God came into the world, but upon what principle it was preserved. That from the time it was first communicated, it was retained in the minds of righteous men, who taught not only their own posterity, but the world, so that there was no need of a new revelation to man after Adam's creation to Noah to give them the first idea or notion of the existence of a God, and not only of a God, but of the true and living God. Having traced the chronology of the world from Adam to Noah, we will now trace it from Noah to Abraham. Noah was 502 years old when Shem was born, 98 years after the flood came, being the 600th year of Noah's age. And Moses informs us that Noah lived after the flood 350 years, making him 950 years old when he died. Shem was 100 years old when Arphaxad was born, and Arphaxad was 35 when Salah was born. Salah was 30 when Eber was born, Eber was 34 when Peleg was born, in whose days the earth was divided. Peleg was 30 when Ru was born, Ru was 32 when Sarug was born, Sarug was 30 when Nahor was born, Nahor was 29 when Terah was born, Terah was 70 when Haran and Abraham were born. There is some difficulty in the account given by Moses of Abraham's birth. Some have supposed that Abraham was not born until Terah was 130 years old. This conclusion is drawn from a variety of scriptures, which are not to our purpose at present to quote. Neither is it a matter of any consequence to us whether Abraham was born when Terah was 70 years old or 130. But in order that there may no doubt exist upon any mind in relation to the object lying immediately before us. In presenting the present chronology, we will date the birth of Abraham at the latest period, that is, when Terah was 130 years old. It appears from this account that from the flood to the birth of Adam was 352 years. Moses informs us that Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad 500 years. This added to 100 years which was his age when Arphaxad was born, makes him 600 years old when he died. Arphaxad lived after he begat Salah 403 years. This added to 35 years, which was his age when Salah was born, makes him 438 years old when he died. Salah after he begat Eber 403 years. This added to 30 years, which was the age when Eber was born, makes him 433 years old when he died. Eber lived after he begat Peleg 430 years. This added to 34 years, which was his age when Peleg was born, makes him 464 years old. Peleg lived after he begat Ru 209 years. This added to 30 years, which was his age when Ru was born, makes him 239 years old when he died. Ru lived after he begat Sarug 207 years. This added to 32 years, which was his age when Sarug was born, makes him 239 years old when he died. Sarug lived after he begat Nahor 200 years. This added to 30 years, which was his age when Nahor was born, makes him 230 years old when he died. Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years. This added to 29 years, which was his age when Terah was born, makes him 148 years old when he died. Terah was 130 years old when Abraham was born, and is supposed to have lived 75 years after his birth, making him 205 years old when he died.
Agreeably to the last account, Peleg died in the 1996th year of the world, Nahor in the 1997th year, and Noah in the 2006th year. So that Peleg, in whose days the earth was divided, and Nahor, the grandfather of Abraham, both died before Noah, the former being 239 years old and the latter 148. And who cannot but see that they must have had a long and intimate acquaintance with Noah? Ru died in the 2026th year of the world, Sarug in the 2049th, Terra in the 2083rd, Arfaxid in the 2096th, Selah in the 2126th, Shem in the 2158th, and Abraham in the 2183rd, and Eber in the 2187th, which was four years after Abraham's death, and Eber was the fourth from Noah. Nahor, Abraham's brother, was 58 years old when Noah died, Terah 128, Sarug 187, Ru 219, Eber 283, Salah 313, Arphaxid 344, and Shem 448. It appears from this account that Nahor, brother of Abraham, Terah, Nahor, Sarug, Ru, Peleg, Eber, Salah, Arphaxid, Shem, and Noah all lived on the earth at the same time, and that Abraham was 18 years old when Ru died, 41 when Sarug, his brother Nahor, died. 75 when Terah died, 88 when Arphaxa died, 118 when Salah died, 150 when Shem died, and that Eber lived four years after Abraham's death, and that Shem, Arphaxa, Salah, Eber, Ru, Sarug, Terah, and Nahor, the brother of Abraham, and Abraham lived at the same time, and that Nahor, brother of Abraham, Terah, Sarug, Ru, Eber, Salah, Arphaxid, and Shem were all acquainted with both Noah and Abraham. We have now traced the chronology of the world agreeably to the account given in our present Bible from Adam to Abraham, and have clearly determined beyond the power of controversy that there was no difficulty in preserving the knowledge of God in the world from the creation of Adam and the manifestation made to his immediate descendants as set forth in the former part of this lecture, so that the students in this class need not have any dubiety resting on their minds on the subject, for they can easily see that it is impossible for it to be otherwise, but that the knowledge of the existence of a god must have continued from father to son as a matter of tradition at least. For we cannot suppose that a knowledge of this important fact could have existed in the mind of any of the before-mentioned individuals without their having made it known to their posterity. We have now shown how it was that the first thought ever existed in the mind of any individual that there was such a being as a god who had created and did uphold all things, that it was by reason of the manifestation which he first made to our father Adam when he stood in his presence and conversed with him face to face at the time of his creation. Let us here observe that after any portion of the human family are made acquainted with the important fact that there is a God who has created and does uphold all things, the extent of their knowledge respecting his character and glory will depend upon their diligence and faithfulness in seeking after him, until like Enoch the brother of Jared and Moses, they shall obtain faith in God and power with him to behold him face to face. 
We have now clearly set forth how it is and how it was that God became an object of faith for rational beings, and also upon what foundation the testimony was based, which excited the inquiry and diligent study of the ancient saints to seek after and obtain a knowledge of the glory of God. And we have seen that it was human testimony, and human testimony only, that excited this inquiry. In the first instance in their minds, it was the credence they gave to the testimony of their fathers, this testimony having aroused their minds to inquire after the knowledge of God. The inquiry frequently terminated, indeed, always terminated, when righteously pursued in the most glorious discoveries and eternal certainty. Questions and Answers on the Foregoing Principles Question 1. Is there a being who has faith in himself independently? Answer. There is. Question 2. Who is it? Answer. It is God. Question 3. How do you prove that God has faith in himself independently? Because he is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, without beginning of days or end of life, and in him all fullness dwells which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. For it pleaseth the Lord that in him should all fullness dwell. Question 4. Is he the object in whom the faith of all other rational and accountable beings centers for life and salvation? Answer. He is. Question 5. How do you prove it? Answer. Isaiah 45.22 Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Romans 11.34.36 For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Isaiah 40, from the 8th to the 18th. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, or O thou that tellest good tidings to Zion, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, or O thou that tellest good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord your God, who will come with strong hand, or against the strong. And his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him, or recompense for his work. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather his lambs with his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and metered out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burden offering. All nations are before him as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity. 
Jeremiah 51, 15 through 16. He, the Lord, hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom, and hath stretched out the heaven by his understanding. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain, and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Question 6. How did men first come to the knowledge of the existence of God, so as to exercise faith in him? Answer. In order to answer this question, it will be necessary to go back and examine man at his creation the circumstances in which he was placed and the knowledge which he had of God. First, when man was created, he stood in the presence of God. From this we learn that man, at his creation, stood in the presence of God and had most perfect knowledge of his existence. Secondly, God conversed with him after his transgression. From this we learn that though man did transgress, he was not deprived of the previous knowledge which he had of the existence of God. Thirdly, God conversed with man after he cast him out of the garden. Fourthly, God also conversed with Cain after he had slain Abel. Question 7. What is the object of the foregoing quotation? Answer. It is that it may be clearly seen how it was that the first thoughts were suggested to the minds of men of the existence of God and how extensively this knowledge was spread among the immediate descendants of Adam. Question 8. What testimony has the, had the immediate descendants of Adam in proof of the existence of God? Answer, the testimony of their father. And after they were made acquainted with his existence by the testimony of their father, they were dependent upon the exercise of their own faith for a knowledge of his character, perfections, and attributes. Question 9. Had any others of the human family besides Adam a knowledge of the existence of God in the first instance by any other means than human testimony? Answer. They had not. For previous to the time that they could have power to obtain a manifestation for themselves, the all-important fact had been communicated to them by their common father, and so from father to child the knowledge was communicated as extensively as the knowledge of his existence was known. For it was by this means, in the first instance, that man had a knowledge of his existence. Question 10. How do you know that the knowledge of the existence of God was communicated in this manner throughout the different ages of the world? Answer. By the chronology obtained through the revelations of God. Question 11. How would you divide that chronology in order to convey it to the understanding clearly? Answer into two parts. First, by embracing that period of the world from Adam to Noah, and secondly, from Noah to Abraham, from which period the knowledge of that existence of God had been so general that it is a matter of no dispute in what manner the idea of his existence has been retained in the world. Question 12. How many noted righteous men lived from Adam to Noah? Answer, nine, which includes Abel, who was slain by his brother. Question 13. What are their names? Answer. Abel, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalil, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, and Lamech. Questions 14 through 
143 can be seen in the printed version. There are many questions individually about the names and ages of all of the patriarchs in the chronology. Question 144. What testimony have men in the first instance that there is a God? Answer. Human testimony and human testimony only. Question 145. What excited the ancient saints to seek diligently after a knowledge of the glory of God, his perfections and attributes? Answer. The credence they gave to the testimony of their fathers. Question 146. How do men obtain a knowledge of the glory of God, his perfections and attributes? Answer. By devoting themselves to his service through prayer and supplication incessantly, strengthening their faith in him until, like Enoch, the brother of Jared and Moses, they obtain a manifestation of God to themselves. Question 147. Is the knowledge of the existence of God a matter of mere tradition, founded upon human testimony alone, until a person receives a manifestation of God to themselves? Answer. It is. Question 148. How do you prove it? Answer. From the whole of the first lecture of the second section.